Welcome. This is EIG, Milwaukee's philanthropic community, with your host, Jill Economo, on News Talk 1130 WISN. Good morning, everyone. Thank you for joining us today for Milwaukee's Philanthropic Community, where we highlight people and organizations who are doing great things by helping others and making a big impact in our community. I'm your host, Jill Economo, Director of Community Outreach at Ellen Becker Investment Group. How many of you are familiar with the story of the Good Samaritan? Now, I would imagine that most everyone is. At its core, it's a story about love and compassion in action. It's about doing what you can to help someone get back on their feet. It's actually a phrase that's used in secular as well as non-secular conversations. The media may use it in a story, either spoken or written. And the message is quite clear that whoever they're referencing showed love and compassion to someone in some way. We can all use a little more love and compassion in our world today, right? The role or the job of the Samaritan and also the innkeeper was to provide the life-altering solution the injured traveler needed. My first guest today took the message of the Good Samaritan to heart. Sue Trepti and her husband John felt called to be the innkeepers to serve the broken and those in need. Also joining me today is Crystal Nugent, who works behind the scenes and helps Sue keep things going. So welcome to the show today, Sue and Crystal, from the House of Peace in Watertown. Thank you, Jill, for having us on EIG. Thank you. This is a real honor to be here today. Well, it's an honor to have you both here to share your passion. The House of Peace invests in the future of women and children by providing a safe environment, essential resources, and various services, along with a healthy dose of love, hope, and encouragement to all who stay with them. So, Sue, can you share a little bit about your story? Elaborate a little more on why you felt called to open House of Peace. Thank you, Jill. Yes. In 2013, we lost our 23-year-old son, Phil. And uh, that is one thing that parents should never have to do is to bury their own children. So three years into our grieving process, in 2016, my husband came to me and said he could not live in our house anymore. So... What it came to be is I had to forgive, let it go, and give it to God. And once I've done that, the house was sold in two weeks. The house that we're in now was only on the market for one day. Hmm. So obviously God had a journey for us that was not totally revealed to me until we attended church and heard the sermon on the Good Samaritan. And that's when God called us to be the innkeeper. I thought we would be opening up a bed and breakfast because we did move into a large Victorian home. But no, God had his own plan, and that was for us to be the innkeeper for those who are broken, homeless, and abused. And within the story of the innkeeper, the point that most people don't recognize, everybody thinks the Samaritan is the hero. He picks up the guy off the street. But it's the innkeeper that cares for him, that houses him, that feeds him, who tends his wounds. And that's what Sue's doing through the House of Peace. 
think it's interesting that you you thought you were going to go in one direction and got mm-hmm. it a different plan. Right? Yes. Sometimes we just need to be obedient and say, okay, Lord, what, what do you have for me, right? That's correct. Um, walk us through how the process works. Well, once we get a phone call, I have 24 hours to make an appointment for our future house guest. And we sit down and we do an interview that sometimes lasts about two hours. We discuss why they're homeless. Uh, We talk about uh, everything that they need to survive. Once the interview is over, who's ever with me as far as board members or a volunteer, we sit down and we talk about it. Would they be a good fit for the House of Peace? Or are they an individual or a family that we help outside of the House of Peace? So if we choose to bring them in, we call them, we set up a move-in date, and then all of appointments are made. We work diligently on them getting jobs, finding counseling, taking care of their basic needs. Including doctor and dental appointments, which most people in those situations don't take care of. Okay. So so help us understand more specifically, you know, what you do. You talked about transportation. You talked about these doctor and dentist visits. I understand you help with them uh, finishing their education and parenting classes. What are, yes. what are some of the other things? We, we also do um, budgeting workshops. We work with psychotherapists who come to the House of Peace, and we do mental health workshops that last anywhere from six to eight weeks, and we do them four to five times a year. We um, also work with uh, cooking workshops if they want to learn maybe the skill of sewing. We can get that going. We also, if those who don't have a driver's license, 80% of our women who come to the House of Peace do not drive a car. Hmm. And so that gives us the opportunity to teach them how to drive. We do have a resource where if we need a vehicle for someone to borrow just to get to and from work, we can make that happen. All of our women come from poverty where they are making less than 24000 a year to support their families. And after they're paying rent and after they're paying the daycare bills, they just have nothing left over. So we work really, really hard on finding them a good paying job We help them with groceries. A house guest, they do not pay for anything while they're staying at the house apiece. They can stay up to uh, 30 days, all the way up to 120 days. And once they have achieved their weekly goals, they're stable, they are working on a regular basis, and have developed healthy routines, then we talk about what is your next step. Is it transitional housing? Or we look for affordable housing for them. 
affordable housing is just so hard, so hard to find in our area. So we just work really, really hard for them to save the money for first month's rent and security deposit and all that. We also work with them on education and getting their kids ready for school. You mentioned a lot of different things that you do, which is awesome. Um, Give us some reasons why you felt Watertown specifically was the place for House of Peace. Um, Well, Watertown itself is in an area that has a 9% poverty. Um, Watertown is located in both Jefferson and Dodge County. It splits a line right through the center of town. And in Jefferson County, the median income is $50,000 a year. And in Dodge County, it is $36,000 a year. So it's not an affluent area in any way, shape, or form. Most of our women also have very little education. 5% of them have less than ninth grade education. 39% have some high school. 32% have graduated from high school or received their GED. And only 21% of them have had some college classes. Many of the families in our area are single parent families. It's 27% with one parent only. And the average size of those families are three, one adult and two children. As far as ethnically speaking, um, women that we have helped in the past have been 90% white, but also 6% Hispanic and 4% black. About 25% of our women are homeless, and 75% of them are homeless with children. Of those totals, 40% of them come from domestic abuse situations. So these women are hurting. They really need our help. And so those statistics uh, are what drove you to determining that something was really needed in Watertown, Mm -hmm. which, as you said, spans both counties. How do you guys measure success then? You know, you've got all these wonderful things that you're doing, housing, transportation, job assistance, helping them drive, you know, the, the GEDs, parenting classes, all these great things. We understand the demographics now for the people living in those areas. How do you measure success? Um, The two most determining factors for success include employment and stable housing, whether that be in one of our transition homes or in their own apartment, to be able to live independently on their own. We've given them a crutch. We've helped them get to the place where they can be independent, and about 85% of our women reach that point and are able to successfully move on with their lives. And I understand that to date you've helped 200 women, 54 children, and five years, ages 18 to 74. So that's, uh, that's very impressive. It's all, all great stuff that you're doing to help these families in need. But what happens once the families are stable and ready to leave the House of Peace? You talked a little bit about it, Sue, but we're going to take a quick break, and when we get back, we'll elaborate on that further. We'll be right back. Thanks for tuning in. This is EIG, Milwaukee's philanthropic community, with your host, Jill Economo, on News Talk 1130 WISN. Welcome back. I'm your host, Jill Economo, and I'm talking today with Sue Trepti and Crystal Nugent from the House of Peace in Watertown. The hope is that you guys help these families get to the point where they're back on their feet, right? And and then what? You know, how do they transition Correct. from homelessness to independence? Well, our women transition by 
becoming stable, working um, at their jobs, and meeting all of their goals. We sit down with our women sometimes a daily or a weekly basis, and if they are achieving their goals, and we have monthly meetings with their counselors and their social workers, and um, if they're doing great, then we think about, okay, what is your next step? Are you ready to move into your own place? We have a couple of extension homes where we give them the choice. Would you like to continue the co-living or do you want a place of your own? Now, not everybody can find their own apartment. Um, Low-income housing is very difficult to find. And so our women that are unable to find that can move into one of our transitional homes. I equate it to like a boarding house. Each woman pays rent for their own room, and there are shared kitchen and living facilities. Um, they become an unconventional family, and they can grow and support each other on their journey to independence. Some women are able to move from these transitional homes into their own apartments after a period of time of continuing to save money. Now, we received our second home in September of 2020, and we will be opening a third house in August of 2021. That's exciting. So you're saying you give them the choice. You're saying to them, are you ready? Correct. And they, what if they say, yes, they're ready, and then you say, eh, maybe not so much just yet? It's a team decision. Okay. That's why each house guest has their own mentor their own counselor, and once a month we have a team meeting to decide the progress of where they're moving. So some women can move quite quickly. We've had house guests who have only stayed 60 days and were ready to move on. Our longest house guest stayed 84 days. So they were able to, they needed the extra time because sometimes their women have to get over the trauma mm -hmm. of the domestic abuse. And that's why counseling is so important to find the right counselor. There are specific counselors that specifically deal with trauma or eating disorders or sleeping patterns. So... Our job is to help them with that. And now you said you have three homes. You have your original home, you have a second home, and you're expecting a third soon. So how do you guys have the time to get these homes ready? I mean, <laughs> do you call in HGTV or, you know, what, <laughs> what, how, do you, how do you guys do that? Actually, we do have an interior design team. Um, there are two wonderful women who started this six years ago, so they were functioning even before we were. And they have completely furnished our transitional homes, with, all with donations. They have a pole barn, and they gather furniture. They gather dishes. They gather linens. They gather everything you would need to set up your own household. And so they have done that in our transitional homes. They completely furnished a five-bedroom farmhouse for us. And there are several women who have moved into their new apartments with everything they would need. So they're not going to Target to buy shelving and wastebaskets. It's all provided. Mm, that's wonderful. Mm -hmm. We always love to hear stories of impact. Can you share yeah. some warm fuzzies, some goosies, oh, or some awe yes, moments? Yes, absolutely. We have a, a wonderful family that have now been with us six months. 
She is a mom of, of two children, and her name is Anna. And she came to us from a domestic abuse situation. And her abuser had her isolated for seven years Mm. where she was just to go to and from work. He took her phone. She could not have friends. And so finally, one of her coworkers called me. She knew of the House of Peace and the ministry that we do. Uh, She's been with us now for six months, and she is now in our second home. She is able to pay her rent. She is able to get her life back on track. And she has decided to stay at our farmhouse. She wants that to be her forever home. She just loves the idea of the co-living, the unconventional style of family that Crystal had mentioned earlier. Just loves the support that she gets from the other women that are there and just the collaboration. I imagine that is so so important to that that puzzle, right? You know, yes. especially if someone comes from a uh, domestic abuse background, knowing that the people that they are cohabitating with are safe, right? Yes. That they they are in a safe place. Maybe someone's afraid to be by themselves, given a, mm-hmm. a prior situation, and so being in a uh, a home that you're sharing with other women in in a similar situation would be would be really nice. You guys are doing all this great stuff. What what would you say is your greatest need in order to continue the great work that you do? Well, our greatest need right now is volunteers. Many people who pass through our doors have never experienced the type of the unconditional kindness and the caring from total strangers. So what we're looking for is Women who are compassionate and loving and want to share some friendship with a total stranger. We are looking for mentors, people that can provide child care and help with transportation. We also plan activities twice a month for all of our women and the families. Uh, We are looking for people to help us with marketing and journalism and our social media. We do a newsletter that comes out twice a year. So creative writing is always needed. Lots of different places that people that live in that area can step up and help with. Um, you know, we talk a lot about the importance of making a difference for others on on our show and, and for paying it forward. Do you guys talk about this kind of thing with, with the ladies that you serve? Yes, actually we do. Our women are expected to pay $25 out of their first paycheck to pay it forward for other women who will come later to the House of Peace. Mm. That amount goes up as they're employed for a longer period of time. But that works in because we need to find a sponsor for each woman, and that's not always something we can do right away. And so this pile of money that we call the seed money is used to help house and take care of a person until we can get them a permanent sponsor. Hmm. Mm-hmm. So you're looking for benefactors, in other words. That's always helpful. That yeah, yep. <laughs> Money is always helpful. And our women understand that 
this is a huge opportunity for them to change their life. This is something that has never been created in our area before. When we opened the House of Peace, there was not a safe environment for homeless and abused women and children. And so we did a lot of research and we decided that we're just going to go ahead and do it. And House of Peace is where hope begins, offering the individual love and substance solutions for women and their families in a crisis situation. Hmm. And you listed a number of the different things that you help them with, and I'm sure one organization can't do it all. And so you partner and you collaborate with others in your community so you can better serve those families, right? Correct. Yes. Yes. We partner and collaborate with Serenity Mental Health, Family Resources, Jefferson and Dodge County Human Services. I have gone to all the shifts at the police department and the sheriff's department in Jefferson County. We also work with the Department of Justice for women coming out of jail who are homeless. The Greater Watertown Community Health Foundation, St. Vincent de Paul of Lake Mills, and the Watertown School District. And we also work and collaborate with four local food banks. Mm. Wonderful things that you do at the House of Peace. We want to make sure people understand that it is House H-A-U-S of Peace. So can you give us contact information for those wanting to learn more? Yes, If you go to our website, House of Peace, H-A-U-S of Peace, W-I dot com, my name, phone number, and email is on there. Uh, There is a form, whether you want to volunteer or if you need help, please reach out. We have serviced 19 zip codes. So you don't have to be in Jefferson or Dodge County. So we are here to help those who are broken, those who are abused, and those who are homeless. Mm, Wonderful. Well, Sue and Crystal from the House of Peace in Watertown, thank you for joining us today and sharing your passion. You're welcome. We're going to continue this conversation of partnerships and collaboration. So stay tuned, and when we return, we're going to talk with an organization who is sponsored by a community support center, and they share their basic needs offering with everyone with no restrictions in terms of income or residency. So stay tuned, and we'll be right back. You're listening to EIG, Milwaukee's philanthropic community, with your host, Jill Economo, on News Talk 1130 WISN. Welcome back to Milwaukee's philanthropic community, brought to you by Ellen Becker Investment Group. I'm your host, Jill Economo. In the second half of the show today, we're going to learn about a nonprofit who shares their very basic needs offering with everyone, no matter what their income or residency status is. So welcome to the show today, Sarah Arise from the Bread Basket in Watertown, which is one of the local food pantries that the House of Peace partners with. So welcome to the show today. Oh, Jill, on behalf of the Bread Basket, we'd like to thank EIG for this wonderful opportunity. You're welcome. You're welcome. It's always great to hear about uh, new places, meet new faces. And so we're going to learn a little bit more about the Bread Basket. I love the name. You know, is there a story behind it? Absolutely, Jill. Um, So when we started out our nonprofit last spring, we spent quite a bit of time thinking about what name and what brand we really wanted to have. 
we had dozens of names that we brainstormed and just really struggled with, you know, what is the right brand for our nonprofit? One of our board members and key volunteers was actually a retired uh, veterinarian, a large animal veterinarian. And he had shared a story with us during this process that really resonated with the board. Over 15 years ago, he became saddened when he was going out to the farms and he was seeing bread being uh, given to a lot of animals. So all this bread was just being given to the pigs. And he looked around the community and thought, we really need to be feeding the people. So he went out on a whim, and he started a nonprofit and partnered with a large bread warehouse in the area, and he fed everybody with that bread. And that was really the inspiration for the name of the bread basket. Mm. You think about the little boy, boy who had bread and five loaves of, of uh, uh, two fish and five loaves of bread, and he yes. was able to feed the multitude. So that's wonderful. Tell us about... Um, you know, what specifically your nonprofit does? Because some people may think that it's, it's I don't want to say just a food pantry, but sure. it's so much more than that. Yeah, definitely. We are a food pantry, but we really differentiate ourselves from the traditional municipal food pantries. We uh, kind of dub ourselves dynamic cutting-edge food pantry that is really winning the battle against food insecurity within both Dodge and Jefferson County, but we also serve surrounding areas as well. Um, while we think of kind of the traditional food pantry and the struggles that they're having right now to even get one or two guests each time they're open, the bread basket is selling out, if you will, at every single event. We have people lined up both before and then trickling in as we're even closing up the shop. And when you say event, how do you mean that? Sure. So we do different food pantries uh, four to six times per week. And we'll talk about it a little bit more as we move forward. Um, but really, our goal is to meet people where they're at. So as opposed to having individuals come to one single location during our open hours, we understand our audience and we actually bring the food through a pop-up mobile event to where our audience is. Hmm. Well, let's talk about your audience, if you will. What, tell us more about the people that you serve. Sure, absolutely. So what many people might not know is that Dodge and Jefferson County actually have federally defined food deserts. So these are areas where people um, meet the low-income criteria and don't have geographic access to high-quality food. This is one of the reasons that we decided to really serve predominantly these two counties and then some of the uh, surrounding areas. Um, we're serving every demographic that you can imagine. We're really specializing in filling gaps that the traditional food pantries haven't been able to serve. These include individuals that are senior and do not have transportation, individuals that might come from sensitive populations, including um, migrant workers or those who are going through immigration status that are not eligible for traditional food pantry assistance, and then also, um, of course, low income. Wow. Okay. Well, we talk about how important these partnerships and collaborative efforts are with nonprofits. Uh, and the Bread Basket collaborates with the House of Peace very nicely, right? Um, tell us how you and Sue met. So, Jill, I'm going to ask for your forgiveness, but can I step a little bit back and tell you my story before I talk about how I met Sue? Absolutely. Okay, and this is a little bit emotional for me, so I apologize if I tear up a little bit. But it's okay. I'm a single mom of three, and um, things in the world have changed quite a bit over the past year and a half. And after I recently got divorced and had to start over again, I did lose my job. I was downsized from an IT management position. And I found myself having to go to a local food pantry to uh, 
to feed my kids. And the experience was awful, and I left crying. I felt demoralized, and I knew I needed to do something different. Um, so uh, as the world was kind of going through some shifts over the past year and a half, I decided to homeschool my kids. Um, we kind of hunkered down, and I knew that I couldn't go back to a conventional job immediately. So I started volunteering at food pantries. And uh, one evening when we had our largest food pantry, um, I got a phone call that um, my middle son had been tragically shot in, in an accident. And I rushed home. I uh, got there just before the ambulance, and I found my 9-year-old um, doing triage on my 11-year-old who had been tragically shot. And we were very fortunate, but it was that moment when I realized that um, God's plan for me had changed. And I needed to stay home and serve my family and also serve my community for a period of time. Mm -hmm. So as all of this was going on, I started volunteering at a local food pantry. And um, by the grace of God, I met Sue. Mm -hmm. And at a time in my life where I really needed someone to mentor me and support me and show me love, Sue was that person. And I'm forever grateful to her. Um, mm -hmm. But she also helped um, myself and then others that I was volunteering with at that time to really see how the House of Peace has succeeded and influence our decision to start a nonprofit. Mm. I'm I'm sorry to hear about your son. Uh, he's is he doing fine? He's doing wonderful, and actually okay. we were very fortunate, um, but. The experience that we had as a family has made us stronger. I'm sure. And in I'm fact, sure. today my kids join me at most food pantries, and oh, um, we're stronger wonderful. because of what we've been through. Right. God doesn't waste the the adversity or the challenges that we all go through, right? He figures out how to use them in some way. Very yeah. well said. Why do you see this collaboration process then that the Bread Basket has experienced with the House of Peace and others, I'm sure, uh, being so important to the services that you offer. And then give us an example of, you know, who are some of the other people that you collaborate with besides the House of Peace? Sure. You know, I think a lot of nonprofits and organizations indicate that um, collaboration is a core to what they do. At the Breadbasket, we truly um, embody collaboration on a daily basis. Within the food pantry world and within many of um, the services that are provided to those in need, there are a lot of silos, individual organizations working by themselves, having to reinvent the wheel. And the ability to really leverage the, um, the strength of each organization and identify synergies, I think, allows us during a time when there are limited resources to be more efficient in serving our community and to really increase that impact. Mm. Oh, very well said. Unfortunately, there uh, are some that think that if they collaborate or they share the resources that there won't be enough to go around, right? That, you know, we say there's right. plenty for everybody, right? The, if we know, just one, yeah. are strategic about it, I think, right? Yeah, it, definitely. You know, one thing that we've seen in our area is that there's a lot of competition mm -hmm. between, let's say, food pantries, and we really look at ourselves as complementing each other. And my understanding from what you've shared already is that you have these pop-up events, if you will, mm -hmm. um, that help to serve the food to, to different populations. How does that compare with traditional food pantries? Sure. You know, a, a traditional food pantry, typically individuals would show up during their open hours. It might be two hours twice a week. 
and they would go through an intake process and then uh, receive the, the food. In our case, we do things very differently. We partner with a library. We partner with different thrift stores. We partner with a number of other nonprofits, and we actually go to a place. We set out all of our food similar to a farmer's market, um, but it would be a free farmer's market, and individuals are welcome to then get out of their car and safely take a look and gather whatever they would like. And during that time, we have very valuable conversations about mm. dietary restrictions, kind of health and nutrition. We really pride ourselves on knowing our audience and making sure that we're bringing the right food to the table, both figuratively and, and physically. And you've also said that there are no restrictions, right, in terms of income or residency. That's correct. With a traditional food pantry, typically an individual would uh, have to show an identification. They would have to provide identifying information for every person in their family. They would have to indicate qualifications. Um, in our case, we just gather very basic information. Again, we want to serve with dis dignity and respect. Mm -hmm. And uh, everyone should always leave with a smile, and they do. Mm, that's so great. Well, you mentioned that traditional food pantries are struggling, which is something that I was not even aware of. So stay tuned, and when we return, Sarah's going to tell us more about what's going on with that. So stay tuned, and we'll be right back. Thanks for tuning in. This is EIG, Milwaukee's philanthropic community, with your host, Jill Economo, on News Talk 1130 WISN. Welcome back to Milwaukee's philanthropic community, brought to you by Ellen Becker Investment Group. I'm your host, Jill Economo. I'm Director of Community Outreach, and I'm talking with this last segment with Sarah Arise from the Bread Basket in Watertown. So, Sarah, we talked a little bit about traditional food pantries and the fact that they're struggling, which I was not aware of, but tell us more about what's going on and what you mean by that. Yeah, Jill, it's really a head-scratcher because you would think during a time when there are so many people in need that food pantries would be booming right now. Um, but in our area and surrounding areas, we're actually finding that most food pantries are down at least 50%, if not more. Wow. And that in many cases, as we talked about earlier, they're receiving only one to three households per um, open period. So again, very different than what we're seeing at the breadbasket. And there's a lot of theories about why this is happening, but some of the data that we've gathered um, leads back to the fact that in the past there's been quite a bit of stimulus money available. Ah, okay. So um, with that stimulus money, folks aren't inclined to go to a food pantry when they can actually utilize the stimulus money and shop on their own. But what we are finding is that um, as the economy rebounds, that money is starting to dry up. And individuals are very much in need, so we need to kind of prepare for that at, at the uh, resource level. The other thing that we uh, share is that the world has changed very quickly, mm. but food pantries have not. Mm. The way that we're doing things is just not keeping up with um, the needs of, of our clientele. Um, also, food pantry volunteers don't tend to be as technical as necessary for today's marketing uh, approaches. Okay. So that's another great opportunity. Uh, we talked about earlier just the, the red tape around um, approaching a traditional food pantry where individuals are very hesitant to provide identification or really talk with their neighbors who are volunteering at a food pantry mm -hmm. about why they're there and right. uh, what their financial situation is. And then lastly, um, it's just the food. Um, the food that is often available at traditional food pantries tends to be the more shelf-stable food. Things like tuna and peanut butter and off-brand mac and cheese. And uh, something that we do at the Bread Basket is we really think about what we would feed our families mm. and uh, 
they have a focus on providing that same level of, of quality to our guests. Nice, nice. Okay, so if the standard or traditional food pantries are struggling to attract guests, how is the bread basket doing? And you talked a little bit about it before on what sets you apart, but you want to elaborate a little bit on on uh, what contributes to your success in, in serving your community. Absolutely, Jill. Um, so at the Bread Basket, we aim to really understand the current environment and the audience um, where our guests are at so that we can remove the specific barriers that would be necessary. I think we talked about before, um, one example is that we might have a family that's going through immigration. And because of the status of an individual within their household, they're either uneligible to receive traditional food pantry benefits and or they're afraid to Mm -hmm. do so. And these are individuals that can be very badly in need without any other options. At the breadbasket, because we don't gather any personal identifying information, we're able to serve um, these individuals and help them really to get back on their feet without creating any risk for themselves or their families. Um, Another thing is that um, I had mentioned before that we like to meet people where they're at. Um, We have a senior population within Jefferson County that um, just is unable to leave their complexes. Mm -hmm. So we pack up food for them. We know, you know, everything that they enjoy, oftentimes fresh berries and fresh fruit, soups, um, some kind of pre-made meals. And so uh, two to three times a week, we actually visit these complexes and we put things out in a community room and then really enjoy spending the time with each guest and getting to know them. That's wonderful. Again, the relationships that you build, I imagine they view you as an angel coming in at times. I get goosebumps just even talking about it, but Mm. we really know our clientele personally, and we feel like family. Mm, I bet. Well, you mentioned before staple items like the peanut butter and the tuna and the off-brand mac and cheese, and you mentioned that bread basket is different with fresh foods. And What are some of the other items that you share? I think most people have donated to a food pantry, and oftentimes the food pantry wish list will have things like you mentioned on there. Um, But they're not necessarily the things that the food pantry guests want. They're Mm -hmm. the things that the volunteers think the guests Mm -hmm. want. You can only have so many canned green beans and, you know, canned (laughs) corn. And as a mother who's had to go to a food pantry, I know how hard it is to serve your kids things like that every single day and have them ask, Mommy, can I just get some chicken or can we have some ground beef? So we really put together our donation list based on what we like to feed our families and what we know um, our guests are preferring. We focus on fresh fruit and fresh vegetables, fresh dairy, and then also protein that is high in quality with a little bit of bakery and then some shelf-stable items. But any event that a guest would come to, they will always find a significant amount of fresh food and uh, much less of the shelf-stable. Do you partner then with, like, local farms? We, we have a number of partnerships. So we work with Feeding America and uh, the Community Action Coalition out of Dane County, where we're able to select the produce that we share with our families every single week. We have a large community garden, uh, thanks to Cornerstone Hope, and we're really looking forward to harvesting soon, starting nice. to share some of uh, that fresh produce. And then we do have partnerships with local farms, um, local businesses, including Penzi Spices, and then a number of individuals. So we, we are blessed when it comes to um, high-quality food. Mm, and again, that partnership, that collaboration, mm-hmm. that is so important so that you can increase or, or um, enhance the services 
to the people that that you serve. Yeah. What about some stories? Can you share some stories that'll give us an idea of the impact you're making in your community? And I think one of the most impactful stories that um, I had personally experienced is that we go to a lot of Spanish-speaking churches um, to, again, meet people where they're at. And so we'll wait until after the service, and then we'll put food out. And a couple weeks ago, there was an individual who only spoke Spanish, and I sadly only speak English. <laughs> but I had to work through a translator. And I could tell that the individual was very emotional and also had some physical ailments. And after we served him, I saw him in his truck crying. And I couldn't imagine what was going on. And the translator explained to me that... Um, he was an Ill- illegal immigrant. He had no family here, and he had diabetes. Mm. And he had had a portion of his foot amputated. He lost his job, and he had no hope left. And the thought that me, a Caucasian woman who doesn't know him, would come in and work directly with him to feed him brought him to tears mm. and gave him hope again. And it was just you know, a very surreal moment for me because I've been down on my luck, too, and just making that connection with someone and sharing, as you indicated before, not just food, but hope and love and compassion mm. um, really is is resonating with us, and it's something that we strive to do every single day. Mm, that's fantastic. Everybody needs that, right? I mean, we need more of that. What would you like to say to our listening audience? You know, we talked a lot about a lot of different things, all the wonderful things that you do, the wonderful people you serve. Uh, but if you could sum it up, um, what would you like to, to leave with the audience? Jill, thanks for asking. You know, we truly believe that what we're doing at the Breadbasket is very unique. We see ourselves as a complex ecosystem, working with partners and collaborating and continuing to evolve and change as the world and the people that we serve change. We think that our ability to be flexible and innovative has really allowed us to create the biggest impact possible. But we realize that we're doing that on a small local scale. So our hope is to be able to really share our lessons learned and support other food pantries and nonprofit organizations so that they can also serve in a different way and we can um, make make a bigger impact on our entire state. Mm, wonderful. Well, I'd like to thank you, Sarah Arise from The Bread Basket, uh, and also Sue Trepti and Crystal from the House of Peace in Watertown. Thank you both for all that you do to help those in the community who need just a little bit of extra support. Thank you for being here today. If you'd like further information about what we talked about today, or if you'd like to be considered as a guest on the show, you can email me at jill at ellenbecker.com, or you can call our office at 262-691-3200. So join us next Sunday morning at 10 to learn more about ways that people and organizations are contributing to making our community safe healthy, and others-focused. You can tune in to News Talk 1130 on your radio, or you can go to Newstalk1130.com on your computer, or you can listen on your cell phone via the iHeartRadio app. You can also visit our website at ellenbecker.com to listen to previously aired shows, and you can also listen now on demand at Spotify, Stitcher, Google Play, or Apple Podcasts. So I would ask you to think about how you can make a difference in the life of someone else, whether it's a family a friend, a neighbor, or a complete stranger. Matthew 25, 35 says, I was hungry, and you gave me something to eat. I was thirsty, and you gave me something to drink. I was a stranger, and you invited me in. I needed clothes, and you clothed me. I was sick, and you looked after me. I was in prison, and you came to visit me. Truly, I say to you, whatever you do for the least of these, you do for me.
So let's take this to heart, shall we, and let, let it impact us so that we can impact others. Let's try to do what John and Sue Trepti did when they took the story of the Good Samaritan to heart and chose to do something to make an impact in their local community, or take a, a lead from Sarah Aris, who put her story into place and and helped others to experience uh, receiving some basic needs. So I would uh, petition the listeners, you know, look, come on, we can do this. Um, listen to that little prompting you may be feeling to get out and do something to help someone else. I think doing so is a win-win, a twofold blessing. You will certainly be giving a blessing, but you'll also be receiving a blessing. As Maya Angelou once said, when we give cheerfully and accept gratefully, everyone is blessed. Amen to that, right? Have a wonderful day.